If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, and you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out. Welcome, everybody, to the 500th episode of Podcast Unlocked here in uh, June 29th, 2021. I'm Ryan McCaffrey. With me, as always, Miranda Sanchez, Destin Legary, and the mystery gentleman. No, he's not a mystery at all. You know <laughs> Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox. Phil, thanks so much for being our special guest here on our celebratory 500th episode. 500 episodes is fantastic, Ryan. Just congrats to you and the team uh, for all that you've brought to the community. Such an amazing milestone, uh, and I'm uh, proud to be able to be here. Well, it's been a while, actually, since you've been here, so it kind of worked out well that way. It's not like we're just double dipping that you were just on. It's been, I had to look it up. It was Unlocked 437. You joined us right in the early days of the work from home pandemic, yeah. uh, and we we had plenty to talk about then. And, and obviously, a lot's happened in the year plus since then. So, but this is also the 20th anniversary of Xbox. So you're we're celebrating Unlocked's 500th episode. Xbox's 20th year. There is a lot. So I'm really grateful to you for taking the time out to do this. And so I kind of, well, obviously we'll talk about a lot of current event stuff, but I kind of want to start in, in the spirit of the 20th anniversary of Xbox by, by asking you, as somebody who's been there for the entire ride, looking back on 20 years, what do you think is the best year in Xbox <laughs> history? Because I have an answer, but I'm curious what your answer is. Ryan, I'm always going to pick this year. I'm always going to pick this year because I'm always looking forward. Like, it's just yeah. when I think about that, you know, the vision that the team has, we just came out, obviously, from an amazing uh, Xbox Bethesda showcase. Um, I just really love how the brand is showing up right now. I mean, the only other year I can go back to is obviously launch year. And just as somebody who is you know, working on building games back in the day, launch is just always something special. But I'm, I'm, I, I don't, honestly, I can't remember a time where I think we've been all up in a better position than we're in now with the studio capability that we have right now, where our hardware sits. And it's, it's just the, the great two consoles. Um, and our services continue to grow. So I'm very positive. Of course, I'm going to say this year, uh, it's just the way I am. But I, I honestly believe we've never been in a better position with Xbox than we are right now. Can you guess what you think I might say? It's going to be a 360 year. Yeah. Because I know Ryan like snaps back to his high school years. And that's the. <laughs> I was working at OXM in those <laughs> I'm years. teasing you. I'm teasing. <laughs> uh... I wish those were my high school years. Say, wait, those are my high school years. Don't look at me. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that being your high school years. Uh, you were going to pick Halo 2 launch year. Good guess, but no, I, I, for me, it's 2007. Oh, Halo 3 launch here. Sorry. Yeah, Halo 3. I mean, yeah, Halo 3. Yeah, yeah Halo 3. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Bioshock, Mass Effect, Rock Band, Project Gotham Racing 4, Eternal Sonata, Call of Duty 4, the first Assassin's Creed, Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter 2, <laughs> The Orange Box, 
even like you could throw the darkness in there. It was that was just such a monster year. It just seemed like it just never ended in 2007. It was a great year. I will just say, and this will always be a debate between me and my friend, Mr. Ryan, that um, like I, I think that we have to look forward. Like I love those years and the great lineups of things, but I also, and this isn't like me trying to make some commentary. I get a, a lot of feedback from teams of, of people in the community of how let's go like recreate this year, recreate that year. If we could line up this franchise and that franchise. And in, in one thing, I think in our mind's eye, sometimes those past years were maybe better than they felt at the time. Um, but like 2007 is clearly an amazing year. But I, I do think as the game industry continues to grow and, um, the opportunities that we have, I, I think that focusing on, on where we are now is just something I'll always, it'll always be inside me. Sorry. Miranda. No, yeah. I'm about to say that makes a lot of sense. And this also makes my question a little like, oh, well, uh, sorry, I'm going to make you look back a little bit more. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, it's 20 years. No, yeah, you got to do it. No, yeah. yeah like, I think just like in looking back at everything that has happened. So like, what are like your favorite memories or like proudest moments in Xbox history? I think you guys have accomplished so much and like, you know, the Xbox scene has changed so much over the years. So it's like, what's the thing that's like really stuck with you? Um, and that like, I know absolutely looking forward is such a great mindset because you know that's that's where we're going and i would like to continue like thinking about that and seeing and very obviously you have done so with how xbox has changed now and how excited we can be and like obviously talking about games past forever but you know um there are things i think in, in like our foundations and like in the past that can always you know treasure and recapture in different ways in the future i, I think it's an awesome question miranda and yeah, my answer i hadn't i People know I, I didn't get these questions ahead, so this is kind of real time. Um, this will sound like a funny answer, but I honestly think it was the Xbox One launch year because uh, it was such a kind of seminal moment for the team uh, in really checking what what did we stand for, what did we want to be uh, as we went forward. Um, how did we want to bet on each other? Obviously, for the brand, there was it was a challenging year. There was a, a lot for us to learn. But just as you said, Miranda, I think that the things that I see in the team now that are so true are listening to the community, um, challenging ourselves, not staying in the bubble that we're in, but kind of trying to innovate and evolve what this is about. I think so much of what we are today is really from that, that first launch year of Xbox one, where we, we got a, a real kind of uh, a cold dose of reality in terms of and when focusing not on what the customers wanted, but maybe what we, we thought we needed um, didn't work. And, uh, and I see it, I see it in the team now that the learning from, from those years and even people who have joined since then um, it's just a much different team now, both who the faces are that represent the team, um, but also, I think the core sentiment and and what we want to stand for, and um, I think that was a, a seminal moment for us. And it it it's uh, while we had to go through that time, I, I think it gives us strength now. I'd agree with that. <laughs> it's a good Justin. one. Thanks. So you talk about looking forward. So I have to ask you, what's something that you're really proud of that you've accomplished recently, and What's something that you still feel like you want to work on or improve on now that we're, you know, moving into this new era of xCloud, Game Pass, and all this news that has come out just in the last few days? You know, I think the industry as at, at large, we've, we're the largest form of media and entertainment on the planet. Um, that's as an industry. It's not Xbox. We're, we're growing as an industry. And I love the way that we're finding our voice as an industry on things that we want to stand for, whether it's accessibility to the games and the platforms that we build, whether it's representation in the games of allowing people to show up as their true authentic selves when they play, the safety and security focus the industry has had. I see this as a real maturing of us as an industry of going from almost like in some sense, people thought about gaming like a vice activity of, oh, you're a gamer. You sit in the basement and, and swear into a microphone and shoot people. And that's what this industry was about um, to an industry now that has world class accessibility in games showing up and talking about themes and topics um, in our in our games and bringing those stories to light 
some of the discussions we have about what content should be in games and and how those should be treated. Uh, I see us really evolving as a social discourse, as an industry, and the amount of creators on the platform today and the different perspectives that are held through the games that come to any of the platforms, I just think is a real strength. And when I look forward, I think that's a real focus that as an industry, we have to get to. You know, we all remember it used to be there were three or four places on the planet where it seems like most of the studios were, whether it was England, whether it was Japan, whether it was some places in the U.S. or North America. Um, but now uh, anybody can create a video game and whether it's through what Xbox is doing or Steam is doing or other platforms are doing, those people can go build games and put them into digital marketplaces that literally reach hundreds of millions of people. And just what an awesome opportunity for us to raise this uh, this creator capability so that we have these different creators who are building games that we can all go play uh, and and feel their lived experience through the art form that they create in video games. I just think that's such a, a huge untapped opportunity. And I say untapped, I think we're on that journey of games getting created in so many different places. But I, I just, I, I can't wait when we get to the point where you don't really know where a game comes from or who the people are behind the game, but you can kind of feel in some sense the soul of the team uh, that created that game and, and the different perspectives are held. I think there's a massive opportunity for us as an industry going forward there. So, well, Phil, uh, the, you, if for anybody out there betting how long it would take us to, to bring up Game Pass in the interview, well, if you bet like the first five <laughs> questions, congratulations, you win. So uh, I do have a Game Pass question that I, you know, I see so many people. Obviously, Game Pass is a huge point of discussion. It's a huge win for you guys. The service is, is really hitting its stride now. But at the same point, I see a lot of confusion out there or maybe just a lack of clarity about the economics of it for either Microsoft and or the developers themselves. So I know you can't share like specific percentages or numbers, but I'm curious if you could honestly explain like how it works from a, from a business perspective for Microsoft and maybe as just a a template, you know, pretend developer. So I know there are multiple types of arrangements there, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for, first of all, for us, um, the goal around, Game Pass has always been to make more games more accessible to more people. Like that is the goal. Uh, It's not to turn everybody into a subscriber. Nowhere in our mission statement at Xbox is to say everybody needs to become a subscriber. We want it to be an option for people on our platform. Some people will buy games. We think that's fantastic. Some people will play free-to-play games. That's also great. And we think a content-based subscription has a place in our industry. Uh, And I'm proud of the work that the Game Pass team has done. From an economic standpoint, I see the same chatter. Like, is it profitable? How does it work for us? It's pretty straightforward. Um, we invest in our first party games. We invest in specific third party deals to bring games into game pass. Game pass is obviously a revenue stream. Uh, we have subscribers and those subscribers are paying money every month. And that creates a revenue pool for us, um, in game pass. And that's a fairly large number at this point. In addition, those games sell on our platform. They're in our stores, whether it's on windows or on console or now with cloud, Um, out there as well. So when we look at the economics of Game Pass, it's not just is a subscribe, how many games is this subscriber playing in the subscription? And if they would have purchased those games or some number of those games, you know, what's the trade-off on purchase versus subscriber revenue? We never really look at it that way. What we do is we say, are we growing the number of players on our platform and are they playing more often? Um, And from that activity, we see the business grows. The number one metric that we can look at to see if our business is actually growing is are people playing more on the platform? There's There's nothing about review score. There's nothing about retail sales of console or retail sales of games. The number one sign that our platform is healthy and growing is actually engagement on the platform from players. And that is what Game Pass is growing. So our business continues to grow and continues to be profitable at Xbox. And um, and we're very proud of that. Like it's an important part of, of what we do. Now, as a third-party developer, it depends really on where you are in the journey. And this is why it gets kind of difficult. Yeah. If you're building a game and you're just now starting and you think you might have a Game Pass game or look at Game Pass as an option, you'll come to us early. And in those cases, just like us doing kind of a 
what people term as a second party deal of us going and, and maybe funding something for platform exclusivity. Now we have this option with people where we can say, this is not about taking that game away from another platform. Um, we can help you get your game to market. And really what we want is to have it in the subscription. You should feel free to sell that in the other marketplaces and other platforms um, that you want to go sell it. That's an option. Certain times people are looking at their back catalog. They've already finished games. Um, in that case, you know, the economics are different. It's a game that maybe they've already sold the kind of initial year or whatever of sales. And they're looking at their windowing strategy with their category, their content and saying, how do they actually monetize uh, content that's a little bit older? And Game Pass can be an option um, as well there. The thing I think you should look at uh, to see if it's working for third parties is how many third parties repeat um, into the subscription. How many games have come into the subscription and then their next iteration has come in. You can look at Yakuza, you can look at these games. And if it wasn't working for the third parties, you know, they have other things that they would go do with their games um, and they wouldn't end up in the subscription. So I look at the repeats from our both publishers and studios as a great sign that it's working for both players and creators. Like a night school studio comes to mind with yeah. the docs and free and, and after. That's right. And, yeah. Yeah, That's right. Uh, by the way, yeah, I, I do have to, on this on this note, before I pass to Miranda here, uh, I've been bugging you for years for a proper official Major League Baseball simulation video game, <laughs> and uh, it, boy, did it did you deliver in in spades this year with 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 Sony and with MLB with MLB the show. So, on behalf of all Xbox baseball fans, we thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, it's been a journey. You and I have talked about it in the past. Many people have come up um, and what an amazing game from an amazing studio. And it was great to be able to partner with them. And, you know, it's turning out to be a huge sports game on Xbox. It's great to have it in Game Pass. And yeah, uh, it's uh, really proud of the team that they were able to do that. And the collaboration has been awesome. If we're hoping our wish list are fulfilled, so throughout fusion frenzy just, just a little <laughs> just a little thing anyway in all seriousness uh one thing i just wanted to touch on game pass real quick is that i've also really appreciated how a lot of the first party studios and i'm specifically thinking about the coalition because they're the ones that i've seen do this a lot um and upcoming with 343 with Halo infinite is having sort of a starting place for new players who have never played anything from the franchise before obviously the whole catalog is there but some people just like to jump in at the nudist iteration. And I think having like sort of this like training ground, that's really fun. Um, honestly, like gears did in such a fantastic way where it's like, Oh, I enjoy these in jokes and like getting to see these characters have a fun day and joke about being late to brunch. Um, but also like teach new players like these basics. Uh, so I think game pass, although that is obviously just like a platform for us to get to play a lot of games. I do appreciate how a lot of the first party studios are approaching it as a place to welcome new players and like are developing with that in mind, which is not something that I had thought was going to happen. Uh, so just a quick note of like, super happy to see that. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that happens with other games in the future as well. Yeah. Third parties look at that as well. I mean, they will see if they have a new game coming out and whether it's maybe new to Xbox or it's just been a while since the last time that that franchise launched, they'll see Game Pass as an opportunity to put some games into the service to help people become, as you said, more familiar with the characters and worlds, the humor. I just went back and, and finished Psychonauts 1 again, um, which was awesome to, to go back and do. And then, you know, some little things like the bacon reference and stuff that I yeah. kind of forgotten about. And then you see it in the trailer and it's like oh yeah now i remember i mean i i i've said it over and over i see what we do is as building art in the game industry um i think uh, representing and respecting where today's gaming trends came from uh it's not that everybody should needs to just go play original xbox games or something but um i do think having that content available having accessible as you say as you're getting interested in something new um being able to go back and and, and learn of where these characters and stories came from i think is is an awesome opportunity it's great to see that so i appreciate you calling it out this week's podcast unlocked is brought to you by nord vpn hey if you're watching a lot of sports like me and you hate blackouts NordVPN is a great way to go. You can use NordVPN, a virtual private network, to watch live sporting events, TV shows, films that aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country that is 
showing that event. No more blackouts. It's also good for plenty of other stuff like protecting your private data, your bank details, your passwords, your online identity. You can protect your data while you're traveling and using public Wi-Fi. NordVPN protects you wherever you are in the world. NordVPN threat protection also protects you from viruses, malware, and phishing sites. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world. No buffering or lagging while you're streaming, and it will stop your ISP bandwidth throttling. NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, so that is a super affordable, great way to go. To get the best discount off of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash unlocked without the e that's n-o-r-d-v-p-n.com slash u-n-l-o-c-k-d and that'll give you four extra months on the two-year plan and best of all there's no risk with nord's 30-day money-back guarantee nordvpn.com slash unlocked without the e hey there this is justin bartha i made a funny new podcast king of the egg cream it has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like lewis black i'm torn by my feelings for two women bobby cannavale you can eat it or if someone hits you you can put it on your cut melanie linsky i wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet jason ritter i can break things and pick locks and kill people michael stuhlbarg the whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better ari grainer no don't whet its appetite what are you an idiot me justin bartha that's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Games are such a unique platform for storytelling. And like whether that storytelling is amongst your friends or if it's something that the developers have created for you and welcoming those players in like with books, you can kind of get through them quickly. Movies, easy TV shows. You're going to start from the beginning probably anyway. But with games, it is such a different medium. And I appreciate, of course, how you're talking about this importance of storytelling and art within them, because that is also very important to me as well. Um, So, yes, everyone. Your uh, Among Us battles are story and they are important. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it right. will live on in your hearts. <laughs> that's right. Um, so let's continue talking about first parties. Um, so long before all of this new acquisition started, you talked about filling in those gaps. Do you still think or feel like there are gaps in your portfolio that you would want to fill someday? Absolutely. Um, I th- when I look at the portfolio, I still think there's... Uh, an opportunity for us with, I'd say, more family-friendly uh, content. Uh, when I think about the geographic diversity of our first-party studios, I think there's still work for us to do there. Um, and the number one thing that drives our platform is the strength of creators, whether it's our first-party or third-parties. And that's just got to be a constant focus for us. And as everything is continuing to grow, as the business grows, as engagement grows, as subscribers grow, we're going to continue to grow our first party capability. It's just, uh, it's kind of part of the the mission that we're on. Uh, and I, I think you'll, you'll continue to see that. And I know, maybe just to tackle this a little bit, I know sometimes I see dialogue out in the industry about, well, is that our acquisitions... Um, a good thing or a bad thing. And I saw Sony you know, just announced a couple acquisitions saying congrats to those teams on that. And I understand some of the sentiment from the community about whether these are a good thing or bad thing um, when acquisitions happen. But one thing I'll put out there is, you know, starting a new studio, starting any small business, frankly, is a very risky proposition. Starting a video game studio is even more so. And if a team actually takes the risk of starting a new company, starting a studio, building that over years, building value in that, to say that they shouldn't sell, I think is just short-sighted. Like the whole thing that can kind of causes this cycle of teams creating studios is that opportunity for those people taking immense risk at starting new teams to realize the value and what they created in M&A or acquisitions is absolutely part of that. Doesn't mean every team has to end up uh, selling their studio, but I think it is a natural and healthy part 
of our industry that certain teams will start a studio. Many of them will fail. We know most small businesses fail, whether it's video games or anything else. But those that make it through, and it's such a, a, a kind of risk-filled journey for them to get to the point to create real value. Um, I'm always going to congratulate when teams get to the point where um, they realize that value through acquisition or just massive independent success, if that's the path they also start to go on. You know, many of those leaders will go off and start other things over time. It's kind of the natural turnover um, that happens with entrepreneurs and startup businesses. And for us, we're always out there looking at where we could continue to build our first party capability and looking at teams that we think would be good fits for us. Phil, on this exact note, sorry to jump in on on Destin, but uh, I think that you've what you've just brought up uh, goes back to the, I think, I don't know if it was an on-air or off-air conversation that you and I have had about Perfect Dark and the initiative. So, you know, you talk about the risk of of starting a new business and a new studio from scratch. And uh, we had talked about, you know, we've debated for months on this show up until the game was finally revealed as Perfect Dark of, is the initiative going to do something original or dip into the the catalog of of interesting intellectual property that you guys have? And you guys ultimately decided, obviously, to go with a a reimagining of Perfect Dark, a game that is beloved, but, you know, was kind of one beloved go on on the N64 and then the 360 yeah. version, you know, wasn't received as well. So I'm kind of curious if you, now that now that it's out there and it's public, if you could kind of walk us through that that decision, which was obviously made in the early days of the studio with Daryl Gallagher and the team of 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 what you guys ultimately decided to make in, in the form of Perfect Dark. Yeah, the truth is with Daryl, uh, that discussion happened before he even joined us. Uh, obviously it had a, a, a great track record at Crystal and the work that he had done with Warcraft and the reimagining of Tomb Raider. Uh, so when we were looking at different opportunities with him, one of them that we brought up was Joanna and, and, and Perfect Dark. And it was something that he was excited about. In the end, and this will sound like maybe the wrong thing to say, I actually don't think it matters what path that we picked, uh, the path that we picked, whether we decided to go back and reimagine Perfect Dark or do something new. The most important thing will be the quality of the execution yeah. and whether we deliver a delightful game that people love. Um, I think it's awesome that for us, we can focus on a female protagonist in our lineup. We don't yeah. have a lot of that in our first party. Um, I think Joanna offers a lot of modern opportunities um, that I, I love to see the team kind of focusing on uh, having a, a strong protagonist. In so it's for us, but that discussion, just to be transparent, started with Daryl before he was even here because I didn't want to have a leader come on and then we you know, it, it wasn't something we were aligned on on, on what we wanted to go do. Um, so that was part of the early discussions. It wasn't the only outcome. Uh, it didn't have to be Daryl. Hey, come and do Perfect Dark, or, or don't come to Microsoft. Um, but it was a discussion we had before we even joined. And so, for the creation of that team, I think everybody who's who's joined the initiative has joined with the idea of what we're trying to go do. Uh, but like you said, you know, Perfect Dark's had two iterations, really. Um, and one of them people love on the N64, the one on the 360, I think you accurately said it was a launch game. It's challenging to get a launch game. Rare had two launch games that year with Cameo, uh, but it you know wasn't as well received as we would have wanted. And now it's just going to come down to how they do with Joanna. But I love the fact that we could add Joanna to the lineup of, of lead characters in our first party games. And I'm looking forward to that. Justin, go ahead. Yeah, so you sort of talked a little bit about collaborations here. So I want to go back to the Bethesda Xbox roundtable where you sort of hinted that id tech might be utilized by 343. Um, are all the studios using id tech or do they have access to that software? Or what are some good examples of collaboration that Bethesda and Xbox have started to do since that, that merger? Yeah, we're still early. I like to say the paint's still wet on us kind of getting the Bethesda um, Xbox Game Studios teams together. And in, in a world of COVID, it's even more difficult, as you can imagine, because a lot of times people just be on airplanes um, and going meeting. You know, right now, the uh, the there's, there aren't any Xbox game studios teams making sure this is true that are, are using id tech right now. It's early discussions and it's, I don't want to make it specific to id tech though. I have a ton of respect for what that team has done. Um, and obviously they just, I think today are launching the, the doom update, uh, 
for the next gen consoles with ray tracing and stuff looks fantastic. Like it's just a very capable engine, but you can look at the work we've done on unreal over the years. You can look at the work that playground and turn 10 do together on their engine. Really for me, this is just about getting our technical and creative capability together. So we make more progress together than we would apart. You know, I think about a team, why would you want to join Xbox if you're an independent studio or you're an independent publisher the way Bethesda was? And I want to enable these teams to do their best work. And one of the ways to do that, one is to give them creative freedom. Um, We have an economic security that maybe they didn't have as an individual team that we can help with. And then another thing is just the context and capability of a broader, what, 23 studios now working on Ford. 24 if I add casual suite, which I should always do. Um, 24 teams working on games together. So I think id tech is an opportunity. I think there's other opportunities with other tech that we have. You know, Havoc's part of our our, organiza- our teams and our, our company. We think about those areas. So there'll be a lot of tech integrations that um, we can do over the years. But we're just, we're so early in that journey. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to overstep where we are in any of those conversations. Uh, speaking of Bethesda, Phil, kind of a two-parter here. So that's that's one of the other major things that's happened since we last talked on this podcast. You know, you, you've talked a lot about it. Uh, Destin referenced the the live streamed roundtable that you guys went out to to Maryland and shot. I'm curious again, like with the Daryl Gallagher and Perfect Dark question. I kind of love the origin stories and how the sausage yeah. is made with this stuff. Just when, at what point in time? Did you not like legally on paper, but like in your gut knew like when did you know that the the deal was actually going to go through? Mm. Um, like, was there a point in time where you just had a good sense of like, yep, this is going to happen? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take it as an uh, I'm going to go sideways and I'll come back. I won't go too long. But I <laughs> one, I just wanted to comment um, again on my good friend, Robert Altman, who's not here in this whole experience. Um, and it just makes me sad. People don't know he was the CEO uh, of Zenimax and passed away in January and unexpectedly. Um, and I just think about how proud he would have been of the showcase and his team showing up and how we showed up as one team. And it, um, it really kind of hits me that he, he's not here to be with us along the journey. Because when you ask that question, I think back to when were Robert and I having those discussions. And yeah. then obviously he's not here to be part of it. So sorry, I just wanted to take a moment to call that out. Um, it was really, I think around the beginning of August last year that I knew we were going to go do something. And then we obviously announced it not too much longer. As a a publicly traded company, um, we have to announce things fairly quickly after they become signed. Uh, That's just part of our responsibility. But to give some context to your origin story, Robert and I had had those discussions a few years earlier as well, and just in terms of where his journey was and the journey the teams were on there. Um, so this was a discussion that didn't just come about in months of time. This was uh, over multiple years, and we just finally found the, the right opportunity for both of us from both an economic standpoint, from where the teams were in their journey, some things we could do um, to help support some of the new initiatives um, that the, te- the teams at Zenimax wanted to go off and do. But yeah, to think about it still less than a year uh, ago. And and here we are just closing such a showcase. I will say, I was talking to Pete Hines about this today. You know, one of the things I would not recommend is closing an acquisition in February and then trying to stand on stage in early in June and kind of act like these two companies are, are, are doing, I thought the teams did a very good job and I love the way it showed up, but man, was there a ton of work to go from an Xbox showcase and Bethesda showcase uh, to, to one landing in early June. And it was fantastic to see the response, um, but a lot of work and kudos to the teams that pulled that off. But yeah, it, less than a year ago. Was it a fun day for you when you guys did announce, like, did you just spend all day just in just scrolling through Twitter and, and the internet, just like soaking up all the reactions and everything? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not, not to come back to it, I, I will say there was a lot of reflection on on the Robert moment, and I, I talked with his family about it. Um, but yeah, the you know, I, I'm a I love the community. I, I think there's some aspects of the some of the that I don't love, but um, but the overall community that we have in gaming and Xbox is fantastic, and we can do things. Um, to reinflate people's belief in what we're trying to go do as a brand. You know, I, I commented about it this month that I don't think I've felt 
this much confidence in what the teams are doing since the 360, since the Ryan years, I'll call them, you know. Um, <laughs> good years. <laughs> they were good years. I was there. They were good years. Um, and it's it's so good. So, but for me then, it's I, I want to go and I want to talk to the teams because if I'm a team working at one of the Bethesda studios and all of a sudden there's this Xbox and Microsoft and, you know, what's going to happen, spending time with the teams. But yeah, early on, um, it's always nice when we come out of these moments and the community has such belief in what we're doing. I, I, I sometimes feel like the, the Xbox community is, is waiting for some bad news. Just they coming, it's kind of a, a, a hangover from the Xbox one years of, okay, like when is the TV, TV, TV moment coming or something? And they're just kind of w- waiting for it. So the more that we can continue to work as a team to build confidence in the community and our brand. And I sense that now I just think, like I said, I don't know that we've been in a better position ever in the history of the, of where we are. Um, and those kind of moments are, are really special. Yes. And go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, Ryan, you caught me off guard a little bit, but I, I had one from earlier I wanted to ask. Um, you know, iGen Japan just did an interview with uh, Xbox Japan lead over there, talked about seeing really, really good growth there. And I was sort of curious, what are your plans for the other countries? Because one of the things brought up was like great localization for yeah. Japan. So are you going to do localization for Brazilian Portuguese was one example IGN uh, Brazil was asking about. And then uh, what are your plans to grow the Xbox brand in places like China, one of the territories you haven't launched the Series X in yet? We actually did just launch in China. It was uh, this month. But you're right. The we we're going through a transformation right now on our global approach. I think historically we've had people in the field, but they've been more on the sales and kind of order side. Uh, we're now spending a lot of time in Jarrett West, who is our head of marketing for Xbox, working with Amy Silverman, who's somebody who's behind the scenes, but does a ton of work for Xbox um, in, in running our sales team. We're really doing a transformation of building more community and social leaders in markets, people who can really connect with local community. We think that's incredibly, incredibly important. It's really modern day marketing um, is staying connected with the community and help amplifying the local voices that are representing what you're trying to do. As you said, making sure our product truth is there and we're not there in all the markets now. We know that we need to do more localization work, both for our platform as well as the content that we ship. Uh, when I think about the next couple of years and I say, well, where is Xbox really going to grow? Clearly our first party, you just see it in the lineup of games that are going to come. It's going to be an amazing time. Uh, the combination of Xbox Game Studios and, and Bethesda. Um, I think about PC and such. I just think there's there's massive opportunity for us there. Games will play an important part. Game Pass growth continue to, to grow and things that we do. And being a more global brand than we have been. Traditionally, we've been strong uh, in North America, places like UK, Australia. Uh, South America has been really strong for us to think about uh, those markets. But we aspire to have Xbox be a strong global brand in all markets, and we're going to invest to go do that. We have the resources as Microsoft to make that true. Uh, it's about doing the work, having the right people with the right focus in place, uh, and I can honestly say to the teams and the, the communities out there that this is this is a real focus for us right now. We know we have to step into that opportunity. Uh, we see it and uh, we're we have a plan uh, and and you, you'll feel that from us over the next uh, year or two. Like this is an important step for us. Uh, Phil, I want to go back to Bethesda for a sec. One, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, when you when you spend this kind of money as a company, you want some I'm sure you want to have some assurances about about the creative teams in place. Like, you know, I'm not a business guy, obviously, but I've, I've heard about things like, you know, non-compete clauses or what have you. So I'm, I'm curious, like, is somebody like a Todd Howard that's been integral to the success of, of one of the key studios that you just acquired, Bethesda Game Studios, does, does Todd get locked into like a, you need to stick around for X amount of time after the acquisition kind of thing? Um, and then as a follow-up, uh, just to, you know, you guys were really clear on exclusivity at at your xbox game showcase which i think the community the xbox community certainly appreciated is does you know the but the elder scrolls does have a history on multiple platforms is elder scrolls gonna follow starfield and stay xbox exclusive so two different questions um i don't i don't want to talk about anybody's kind of individual situation sure that's um, fair 
But I think what I'll say specifically for Todd and I, because we've been friends for a long time, uh, and I don't think you'd mind if I shared this. I think we both, there was a moment where we both looked at each other and when this deal was getting ready to go down. And we knew we were making a bet on each other. It's uh, And it wasn't about anything that's written down or you know money or anything. It's like, hey, I see what you're trying to do with Xbox. This is more from his perspective. Um, we have a good trust relationship that we've built over the years. Uh, and I think it's right that like I should be able to stand and look him in the eye and say, uh, I'm committed that we're going to see this through as, as Microsoft and Xbox and, and provide you guys the platform that I truly believe the next versions of all of the Bethesda games that come out will be more played than any versions in the past, just based on the reach and capability that we have yeah. um, as a team and, and vice versa. Like for me, I wanted to know that this is something that he was on board for. I mean, if Todd Howard didn't want to, to come and join Xbox, we wouldn't have done that deal. Um, and that was an important kind of one-on-one conversation that we had. Um, but, you know, it's, and I, I wouldn't want it to be about anything other than us making commitments together for the benefits of the teams that um, we're going to stay committed to to doing the right thing and, and just building an amazing capability together. And I think you just saw that in the Xbox um, and Bethesda showcase um, as the beginning of it. And it's such a, an amazing step. And I shouldn't just say it's about Todd, about Pete, sure. uh, about Aaron Losey, about like the whole team that's there, Marty, like all the teams. It's just uh, it. it it's a, such a, a great creative community. Randa, do you want to talk a little Avowed? Because I know we're all excited about that game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Avowed was a super pleasant surprise. I think a lot of us are just very much glued to that trip. Like, all right, let's also parse this apart. That's, yeah. that's what I do with everything. It's like, I just want to, like, what I know from the studio and, like, what we know about, like, this game so far and try to imagine what we're going to get. Um, so that was really wonderful to see. Is that your Elder Scrolls? Well, Elder Scrolls 6 is still pretty far away. Is that our next fantasy adventure that you think is going to sort of fill that gap? I think the games are very different. So maybe I struggle a little bit to say that's our version of this, just knowing what Fergus and the team are going off to do. But when I think about our lineup um, and I think about that more core uh, fantasy RPG setting. I think Avowed's going to be an awesome entrance there. You know, Fable's never been that. Fable's clearly, you didn't talk about Fable, but when I just think about the constellation of things that we have in this space. You know, Fable's always been a little more lighthearted and um, and a, a little more British, I think I could say. Uh, <laughs> and I think Playground will, will keep it there. Um, and Elder Scrolls Six is further out. And when that comes out, I think it's, it's going to be incredible. So I think, yeah, I think Avowed from just a, a core fantasy-based RPG, there's going to be some distinct differences with what Elder Scrolls has done um, traditionally. This one obviously takes, takes place in the, the kind of Pillars world and stuff. But um, yeah, I think it's important for us to have great games uh, that kind of can fill up the, the, the portfolio of things that people get to play on Xbox. And it was a, a moment at the end of the showcase and it was kind of on the fly where I just started listing some of the games that we have in development in different genres. And when I was going through the RPG list specifically, um, even I was surprised. I kept writing down thinking like, Oh, th this list has got to end at some point. Um, and it, it so incredibly just, um, inspired by the great creative talent we have working on games and avowed as uh, a game. I mean, Obsidian's just such a fantastic studio. Um, I don't know how you feel about the Outer Worlds 2 trailer. There's certain people that thought it was too chung and cheek. So I thought it was hilarious. That was hilarious. But the point where it started being maybe it's like, maybe this is too much. And then it kept going. I was like, no, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's oh, just, we kept pushing it. This is this is what we needed. <laughs> but such a great studio. Um and yeah, just so awesome to see how Fergus and the team have leaned in. And I think Avowed is is going to be fantastic when it comes out. And I want to give them the time and the resources to build uh, just the most amazing game they've ever built. Yeah, you guys really, we've talked about this on Unlocked, Phil, and I know you're listening from the dog park. Yeah. You guys completely own the Western RPG now. Not that there aren't other publishers making good Western RPGs, but you, know, you, you start to go through it. Avowed Outer Worlds 2, two unannounced Unreal Engine 5 RPGs from Inexile. Fable, Elder Scrolls, like it's it's pretty wild that and that all these, you know, 40 to 100 plus hour RPGs will go straight into Game Pass, which is uh, which is pretty wild. But um, we're we're starting to run out of time with you. But Sorry. I, uh, of course, have to talk about Halo. Yeah, because it's Halo and it's also Halo's 20th anniversary it is. coming up now. 
this is going to sound like a loaded question, and I don't, I honestly don't mean it to be this, but how much is riding on Halo Infinite in the sense that it's been six years between mainline entries? Halo 5's campaign, cer- certainly by a lot of us here at IGN, wasn't as re- well received as we wanted it to be, although the multiplayer very much was. Uh, the, the, the very public delay last year, which obviously you guys took, a, took, a, took it on the chin for, but it was obviously the right decision. You want to give the game as much time as it can. So, you know, bringing Joseph Staten back in, how much is riding on Halo Infinite as far as the, the future of that franchise? I, I don't know if this is what you'd want me to say or not. Like when I think about the community, but I'm just being honest. I don't think about it that way. Like the future of the franchise, I think Halo, Halo will be here 10 years from now. Um, is Infinite the like linchpin on whether it survives that long? Absolutely not. Like the, the game has such a rabid fan base uh, and has such a history and lore that it's just an IP that's going to be with us. We don't take that for granted, but I, I, I definitely believe that in my core that that's true. All of that said, when I think about Infinite and I think about Joseph and Pierre and Bonnie and the teams that are focused so hard on this game, and it was so great to see the reaction to the multiplayer reveal from the showcase. I know people want to see more and we'll have time to go show more stuff, but just from the elation of the team, the inflating of, of their own kind of momentum when people see the reaction, I thought the multiplayer stuff looked fantastic. Such a great moment. But I never want to kind of put a team in a position where they feel like, Hey, this one's got to land, or who knows? You know, I, I've heard the story of well, you know, people even think about last holiday. Um, what would have changed for us if we would have had last holiday? You know, you know maybe Game Pass would be, I guess, a, l- a little bit bigger. Would we have sold more consoles? No, because we're selling every console we can. That's not an excuse for not having it when we wanted. We said we wanted it then, and it was a miss on our part um, that we didn't have Halo at the launch of the console. Absolutely true, um, and we are so focused on Halo this holiday and making it a game that our Halo fans will be proud of. That's the most important thing to us. But I'm not one of these kind of dire prediction people. I think game teams, whether it's our teams or any team out there, they put enough kind of pressure on themselves in delivering for customers. And when you're on a a franchise that's as big as Halo with such focus um, on on what's going to like on, on every step and every word that said, um, I trust the team, I trust the progress they're making, and I have confidence in Halo Infinite. Uh, and I, I think that's that's all that needs to be said there. I, I don't think it's a, a make or break. I, I just don't believe that. Right? I, I think that um, there are going to be a, millions of people that will play that game and love that game. And I'm sure there'll be some people that will see opportunities for us to do more. Um, and that's just the nature of being in the entertainment business. And we accept it. That's just the, the kind of what we've signed up to. And, and we love being part of that. And I'm sure you've been playing it recently. So just tell me, obviously, without specifics, because you're not going to give specifics, but what has surprised you about it recently <laughs> in a, as you've been playing it here? And I thought this, that's a great question. And I thought it showed up at the showcase. Um, I, I saw in the community reaction, maybe some of what I was feeling. Like, because there was, you know, words out there, do we need a battle royale mode at launch? And we have to re kind of reimagine multiplayer. And what I will say is when I got back to playing arena, when I got back to playing big team battle, with a lot of the innovations and evolutions that have happened in FPS multiplayer over the years, there was something very pure about coming back to a Halo Arena experience and how clean it was and how tight the gameplay loop was and just the the causality and map layout and everything that I just loved. And usually they have to pry the pry the controller out of my hands when I'm over there once a month, you know, going through gameplay testing with them. It's just so fun. And um, right now on our platform, there there are not a lot of games that are just kind of going back to that tried and true formula and perfecting what they have. And I think that's what the goal of this team is. They're going to do more. I don't want to say there's like one multiplayer mode, but that's the thing that probably resonated with me the most is, Hey, what are all the new things that we have to do? And then after I played it, no, it's actually for halo about just being a really great halo multiplayer experience that the things that people know and love, if you don't get that right, you don't get permission to do anything else. 
And I just love how the team's focused there. And I thought that, again, the showing at the showcase um, was all about that. And I love seeing the reaction of the community. I thought that it, it, I think it landed the same way, which was our goal. And it was nice to see. I I know you wanted to ask about the transition from Xbox one. Uh, I just wanted to ask if we can get a date like holiday 2021 (laughs) is too much for me to stand. Can you give us like a month (laughs) or when we'll hear more? Yeah. um, We're working on the exact, I'd like the next thing for us is to say a day. Uh, and they're honestly like, we're, we're looking at glide paths of bugs and other things that the teams are actively, actively working on. And when we make that call, oh, there's other teams that will move out of the way and stuff when we make that call. So, um, we're not quite there on the exact day. We feel really good about it coming this holiday. Obviously Joseph said that on stage. Um, so this is just about us getting that exact day, you know, on the other side, I had Todd Howard calling his shot, like whatever it was, 16 months ahead of time with Starfield <laughs> state. Um, and. But so I, I get the kind of the people, well, why is that one game have a date and this game doesn't? But we feel good uh, about what we are. And, and I think in the not too distant future, you'll hear more about a, a date from us. Todd loves 11-11. What's his deal with that? Is he is it like the lucky number for him or what? It was a good discussion. He, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Miranda. I was just going to say, that's when you make a wish. It's like 11-11, the clock Sorry. hits, you get to make your wish. Now he had his own reasons. Yeah, I think some of it was the date and just wanting to uh, to put that out there. He obviously feels really good about where production is on the game. Um, they've been working on it, as he said, for a long time. For those of us that have been around Todd games before, it's usually you get the announce of the game and then the game launches like four months later. So the fact that it's just kind of in him to stand on stage and have a date. Um, and it was good to see the confidence that he and the team had in picking that date. Um, and in Halo, we're equally confident. We just know the next thing for us um, is to actually pick the, the exact day. And, and from a production standpoint, we're just kind of lining that up. Cool. Well, actually, I'll, I'll ask about uh, transition here before, before we let you go. Uh, we've got a couple more questions. But you know, a lot of the, the showcase was awesome. We, I, I said on this show, I think I headlined an episode saying, I, I thought this was your best showcase ever. I really did. Thanks. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, just, you know, you guys have had good showcases, good showcases. And this was, this was just a, a, a total home run out of the park. And and one of the things that I that I noticed in there is that you don't have Xbox One listed on a lot of the end slates for a lot of these game reveals anymore. And, you know, you guys very publicly committed to a, a smooth transition and supporting the Xbox One. And uh, and that's something that, that you guys have held firm on, which I think is great, particularly in light of the chip shortages that we're going to ask you about yeah. here in a second. But um, but but then here comes the Xbox cloud uh, and and you guys hit a little blurb on Xbox wire during E3 week that said, Hey, uh, starting with flight simulator, we're going to just deliver that flight simulator to your Xbox one through the cloud so, right. so that you can still play that game. So, I mean, that's an incredible solution. I mean, is that the solution to allow the, the teams to maximize the new hardware while still not leaving your uh, your Xbox One customers behind? Well, that's the plan. Now, I don't want to confuse anybody. And I know other people have said different things. You know, when it comes to playing from the cloud, it's not replicating playing from local hardware. Right. Like the, the best way to go play an Xbox Series X game is on an Xbox Series X physically plugged into your television and, and playing that game. But as you said, whether it's chip shortages or frankly, just where people are in their own kind of decisions for where they're going to spend their money, we want to support the people who have purchased um, our hardware as long as we possibly can. And I think xCloud gives us that opportunity when we look at the Xbox One base. We have a browser there. It's a Chrome-based browser that we can target um, bringing next-gen or now current-gen experiences to. Uh, and I love that as an opportunity for people. Maybe certain people, Xbox One will be the console that they keep or as as long as they can, forever, whatever that means. Um, and other people are maybe just waiting for availability of the next consoles for a Series S or Series X before they, they move up. And we think delivering via the cloud gives us that opportunity. And as you said, for developers, some of them lets them move their capability on and uh, and they don't they won't need to go back and support the last generation as they're looking forward, but it lets us say what we've meant to, what we've been saying all along is we want to allow you to the play 
the games that you want on the devices that you have. Um, there will be some point, I'm sure, that you know that won't be possible on old hardware. I've had questions asked about 360 uh, and other things. But yeah, I think it is a, a great bridge opportunity for us, and it's one of the powers that the cloud gives us. Miranda, go ahead. Okay, let's talk about chip shortage. So a lot of us, myself included, may be excited about the potential of, a oh, what if you had a Halo Infinite console? I'd really love that. Uh, but with chip shortage, uh, that could be an issue. Is that something you guys are considering or thinking about? Like maybe not having many or any special edition consoles just because of the limitations we have with tech right now? We're always making balanced trade-offs between where we're spending our silicon, whether it's putting in the cloud, because one of the outcomes of Ryan's question is now we have Series X consoles sitting in a data center that we could have been selling to people. And so we're always making these balanced trade-offs. Uh, I don't think we want to give up on our ability to do limited edition consoles and other things. Uh, I think that's that's part of the community and stuff that we want to build. I'm not announcing any of them today, uh, but I... I I do think there will be certain moments that are going to be special that we'll want to be able to to celebrate. But I, at the same time, the ship short the chip shortage will be with us for a while, and I, I continue to apologize uh, for that. You know, who knew when we launched these, when we were planning on these consoles, that it would be more about supply chain management than actual the technology in the box. And but that's kind of where we are. And it's frankly at this point, it's not just chips. When we look at building these things, there's just such a shortage across so many things. We're looking at like Ethernet ports and other things. It's just oh, wow. crazy oh, right now. Um, all of the demand for consumer electronics. But we're working. I will say the company Microsoft very bullish. Uh, we're we're putting in huge orders for Xbox consoles. We've seen demand for our console like we've never seen before. It sounds like a PR line, but in reality, the demand for Xbox has never been higher than it is right now. Uh, and the company wants to put it step forward and order the hardware to deliver on that demand. There's a lead time in hardware. It takes a little bit longer for it to get to the stores, uh, but the company and team Xbox obviously is really bullish. Uh, so we're, we're putting in those big orders and we want to meet that demand because um, it's, we don't like disappointing people, which I know we are for a lot of people right now. Justin. Yeah. So just in case this is the last one, I'd be really curious to hear from you about that moment when you sat down with Satya Nadella and you were seriously looking at the, the future of Xbox. Did you ever envision that you would be running the entire division and how do your original aspirations line up with where you've landed today? I don't, I often, I don't talk about me that much. Um, so I'll try to get through that one quickly and get to the product. <laughs> the, uh, you know, I, I, I love building games. It's kind of what I came to Xbox to do when I joined studios. Uh, Ryan will know this because like he's been on Xbox for an awful long time. I was not somebody early on that you saw on stage a lot. You saw doing a lot of interviews. It was a long time that I was on Xbox that I was just happy working on Fable, you know, working on Rise of Nations, working on games. Uh, and that's that's what I, I wanted to go do. I had no goal of, of running the organization. I didn't have goals of being on podcasts and doing a bunch of press. As you can kind of tell, I'm not trained in this. This isn't what I do. Oh, stop. Um, no, it's uh -huh. it's seriously. No. I'm not like I, I'm uh, I, uh, like on Twitter today. I was trying to tweet something. I can't spell. Like I'm gonna make mistakes um, all over the place. But I mean, Ryan, you'd admit that. Like early on in the Xbox days, I was there, but I was not somebody that you saw as kind of front and center uh, in in front of the the press and the industry. I was happy. Yeah, you um, had Peter back then. He was that's more right. than happy to do it. Right. Yeah. And it, it wasn't a goal of mine. So when I sit here today, I just being honest, you know, I, I feel incredibly fortunate um, and privileged. And I, I use that word specifically because there's some things about who I am and what I look like and my gender and stuff that have helped me get into this position and others haven't had that same opportunity. Um, so it's one of the things I think about in this position of how do I allow more people and enable more people that don't just look like, you know, old white guy in the tech industry of the people who are the, the faces of what we do. Um, and I, I think that's important. And it's one of the journeys I've been on, on going from, um, okay, behind the scenes, working on games I loved. If I'm going to be more public, um, I want to have a kind of, I want to be more mission led and what am I going to stand for and what am I going to use this platform to talk about and things that are more important than just, can I sell another console or sell another video game or get another follow on my Twitter handle? But are there things that I can do um, that when all of this is said and done, I can look back and I can say, 
that, you know, I, I use that opportunity to do something that wasn't just about uh, commerce or popularity, but maybe something that could have a, a longer standing impact. I don't know that I'll get to that point. Um, I hope to, but that that's kind of what was driving me. And then going to the product, I, I'd say it's been nice um, to see what what how Xbox as a team and as a brand, how it's evolved. One of the things more recently I've been really proud of is how our team is having more impact on the rest of the company here at Microsoft uh, and the leaders inside of our gaming organization. I mean, we saw on the Windows an announcement last week for Windows 11, Sarah Bond was there as part of that presentation. Uh, it wasn't normal that we would have had leaders on the in the gaming team as part of other Microsoft announces. Jarrett West, uh, I've mentioned before, who runs marketing and the impact that he and his team are having on Microsoft social and how and marketing and how they're working. And it's something Satya has really embraced on let's, we have this gaming capability that we've grown over a couple of decades. Um, Microsoft has a desire to be more and more relevant in the consumer space beyond just what we do in gaming. Um, and I love the fact that leaders on the team, Liz Hamron and the platform team who builds our consoles and builds the platform. I can go through the, the full list of people on our team, Kareem, who's doing Azure Cloud, xCloud stuff. Uh, I just love the fact that the team is having a broad impact inside of this company. And that in turn is allowing us to have more impact with more players around the planet. Like I think that unique combination is pretty special and, um, and it's really cool to see it kind of coming in all into focus right now. Well, Phil, I'll, I'll end here with a, with a two part sort of part product, but I'll make you squirm a little bit more and one and part personal question here. I'm gonna make you talk about yourself a little bit more. So one, just kind of to finish up the chip shortage situation, yeah. As has that scenario, because you just said you expect it to be with us for a little while. I mean, I think so Tim Stewart had, uh, what, six months ago, thought we'd, it'd be over by now. And and it's not. And that's so that's just the reality. So has has that situation affected your team's thinking about the probably inevitable mid generation upgrade similar to the Xbox One X and sort of the timing of that? And then uh, and then just to sort of wrap this up. What's the goal for Xbox in, say, another five years from now to get to the 25th anniversary? And, and to your own point about, you know, how you never thought you'd be running this and, and you know, that you know, wanting to wanting to have more uh, diver uh, diversity and inclusivity in, in leadership positions. You know, have you thought about about, you know, where your retirement might come because you've been with Xbox for a long, long, long time. You're, you're afforded a position where I'm sure with stock and things, you probably could call it a day. It's some, we've seen that from plenty of other Xbox folks over the years. You know, Jay Allard comes to mind. So I'm just sort of curious, yeah, from the, the, the sort of product standpoint with just that chip shortage and mid-cycle and then, and then, yeah, your sort of legacy and, and what, uh, the brand looks like in five years and, and where your sort of career path is taking you. So in the, in the first question, uh, I mentioned her before, Liz Hamron runs our platform team, our Jason Ronald's part of her team. I know a lot of people know Xbox beard guy, Jason. Uh, and we just met last week on what our hardware roadmap looks like and, um, and are there things that we should be doing? We like the two consoles we have in market right now. We think we have, a great price point with Series S. We think we have a clear power leader with Series X. I see more and more of that coming into focus as our tools capability and the game devs get more time with the platform. And I think we have years um, with those consoles. But as I said, hardware lead times take years. Yeah. Uh, so we want to sit back and say, well, are there things that we should be doing? We don't have to go do hardware just to go do it. We want to do hardware because it actually creates new opportunity. And I've said before, it could be at the lower end that we find more immediate opportunities or something for us to do that allows more people to play with xCloud. Is there something to do at a higher end? We're having those discussions right now. Uh, and I, I love the capability of the hardware team and it will be kind of a, a constant conversation. You're right in that the fact that consoles are still so supply constrained that you know right now, so much of the focus is just on supply chain and how do we get more versions of these consoles that people love right now. And the commitment I'll say to those people is you're not making a mistake in buying one of these consoles. There's nothing that's going to come out next year that's going to make you feel you know, like, oh, I, I should have waited. These are the consoles that we have in, in market for years. And we built them with that in mind. And I love the tech um, that's in there and that capability. But And that's where our, our focus is going. So if there's any trade-off, it's probably just bandwidth. 
yeah. as teams are, how do we go and tackle the supply chain issues um, or look at future innovations? And we're doing both, but there's more focus on supply chain than maybe we would have expect, expected, just given um, the, where we are with supply right now, you know, in, in terms of, of me, uh, uh, this is the job I want. I love this job. Um, I, I think I've, I've got more to go do, but I also know, as you said, like some point, somebody else will be in this position. I've never been confused that uh, I used to have some silly handle on my Twitter thing more defined more by what I do than who I am. I'm not confused that people are, are following Phil Spencer, like they're following the head of Xbox. And um, at some point, it, I won't be the head of Xbox and somebody else will be and I'll be the guy who's off kind of snowboarding and doing other things um, while somebody else takes this brand uh, and goes off and does amazing things. So my focus is I, I want to make sure I have a leadership team that's uh, capable of of continuing to drive this. That's a, a big focus for me. I want to have the brand in a position where products have kind of wind under their sails and they're making great progress. Uh, I love the fact that we've got the company behind what we're trying to do in gaming. I think that was an important deliverable, uh, but I feel like I, I definitely have a, a lot more to do here. And I have a job that I'm just incredibly inspired by every day. It's uh, it's something that I I do love, but you're right. That's at some point there'll be another head of Xbox. I hope they're better at this job than I am. That should, uh, I think any leader should aspire to that. And what can I do with the leaders on the team now to help give them the experiences so that this brand is in a position to be strong for decades to come? Uh, that I, I think that's a, a real responsibility I have in this role. Well, Phil Spencer, you are doing an excellent job. It's been, you know, it's been a long road. I remember you, you've been, you were uh, put on the job. I believe it was March, 2014. Was that seven years, seven years. Can you believe it? And, uh, you know, your first major publicly announced initiative was backwards compatibility, which has proven to, I mean, that boy, that those seeds have borne all kinds of fruit here. Fast forward those seven years and, and there, you know, a lot of gamer first initiatives and you, you know, you, you've earned the victory lap this year and, and the, the real turnaround that this brand has seen and uh, the, the first party content. You know, I wrote an editorial, which I'm sure you probably saw, but yeah. I think you know, the drought's finally over. You know, you, for a long time, you'd come on the show and we'd kind of talk about like those exclusive games. Where are they? And, and here they are. They're, they're arriving and they're looking great. So um, I always appreciate you coming on here and especially this today being a part of episode 500. Yeah, thanks. Uh... Thanks to all three of you for just the role that you play in the community every week. Ryan's right. Like I walk my dogs on the weekend with my headphones in listening to you guys. It's, it's awesome. I, I love the discussions. It's so useful. You play, you really provide a real service to the Xbox community. So congrats again on, on 500 episodes. Thanks for having me on. Uh, good questions and, and good discussion. And I hope everybody has a, a safe summer and they get to play a lot of great games uh, and uh, really looking forward to what the next year plus holds because we got a lot coming and it's uh, it's going to be fun. You and me both, my friend. You and me both. For Phil Spencer, Miranda Sanchez, and Destin Legary, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Unlocked 500. I hope you enjoyed it. Very grateful to Phil Spencer for taking the time out Thanks. with us because his PR guy's over there going, we were supposed to be done 20 minutes ago. So <laughs> thank you, Phil. Thanks, everybody. And we'll be back for the start of our next 500 episodes next week. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.